Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap between what you believe and what you actually experience. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening. As we approach Thanksgiving, I want to express our sincere thanks for your support of the ministry as we seek to bring wholeness and healing to the body of Christ through restoring the soul. And in the spirit of gratitude, here's a brief scripture from Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, surpassing all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Happy Thanksgiving from Restoring the Soul. In today's conversation, we connect with Kevin Triplett, whose transformative journey from despair to redemption includes overcoming racism, battling addiction, seeking validation in the wrong places, and ultimately finding solace in God's grace. Kevin shares how Michael's book, Surfing for God, and attending a Restoring the Soul men's intensive weekend profoundly impacted his life. And on that note, as the holiday season unfolds, consider embracing a new beginning for healing in the upcoming year. We're excited to announce that registration is now available for the Restoring the Soul Men's Intensive Weekend from February 22 to 25 in Monument, Colorado. As a way of saying thanks to our podcast listeners, we're offering an exclusive $200 discount off the regular price for those who sign up before December 25th. To take full advantage of this special opportunity, visit RestoringTheSoulWeekend.com, navigate to the registration button, and use the code WEEKEND24 during checkout. That's RestoringTheSoulWeekend.com, and use the code WEEKEND24. So now without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. I am in the Restoring the Soul studio today, and I'm talking to my friend, Kevin Triplett. Kevin, welcome back to the Restoring the Soul program. Oh, it's good to be here. Uh, hey, you were on this podcast one time before with our friend, Tony Anderson, who both of us were saying that he's one of our favorite people, but you and Tony were involved in the movie called The Heart of Man, and some of our listeners may have heard of the heart of man or seen the movie, which is closely linked to our ministry. What has that been like? It's a couple of years now since the movie, the heart of man has been out, which is a story of redemption and men getting their heart back from the bondage of addiction and sexual brokenness. But what's it been like for you a couple of years out now to have been a part of that? You know, first and foremost, I guess it's open doors. I mean, it's like an automatic door open to talk to men about our brokenness and uh, about the, the, the true character of, of the father. Cause I think that comes out to me more than anything else in that movie, you know, watching it this past RTS weekend, that's probably the ninth or 10th time I've seen it. I see something different every time, every time I watch it, you know, there's times I, I, I times when I'm watching it, I'm thinking, what in the world was I thinking? How did I agree to this? And, and then I think of the, the, the men that have told me over and over again how my, my testimony of, has given them hope. And, uh, and then I, I know that that was, I, I, 
that was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, so when you say, what was I thinking, that's because you're not teaching the Bible in a traditional way in this, saying here's what this passage means. You're sharing your story. It's a story of brokenness and compulsive, addictive behavior and, and sin. Can you talk a little bit about that? When, when I say, what, what was I thinking, I, 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 I zoom back to the, the Hollywood premiere of the movie where I'm sitting between you and my wife, Delena, and uh, the screen goes up, the, 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 the theater's full, and um, I'm being exposed. I'm, I'm, I'm being exposed. You know, the, the darkest corners of, of my life are being laid out uh, on, on the screen. And um, I remember the first scene that I, that I show up, I'm starting to talk. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I was sinking down in the seat. And uh, I, I was trying to get as small as I possibly could. I remember my wife reaching over and, and grabbing my arm and pulling me back up. and uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, it's like I'm thinking, you know, the things that I'm talking about, the, the, the adultery, the betrayal, the lies, that was towards you. You were the main victim. And here she is sitting next to me. And it's just a testament to her. It's a testament to our, our father and, and the grace and uh, redemption and, and, and hope, all those things put together. What a picture of here you are together as a couple with this story of redemption uh, that had happened and has continued to play out in that, that story of redemption and healing. And with the healing that happened in order for you to actually be able to share your story in the movie, there's this shame that washed over you. And we've talked about how shame is such a powerful part of all of the ways that our addictions and compulsions play out, especially sexually, because there's this in the Christian world, of course, that's just something you don't do. And to do that publicly, to do that and to speak of it in a movie and to be in Hollywood. And so I, I don't actually remember you sharing that about the shrinking, but that's a powerful image that the part of the healing process is rising up and, uh, and, and, and being your full self. And it reminds me of Psalm 3 where it says, uh, God, you bestow glory and honor in me and you're the lifter of my head, you know, so that Mm. What your wife did was to, in pulling you back up, that's a picture of what God does to us as sons in, uh, in Psalm 3. Man, that, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. So you were there in that movie sharing your story uh, because we met at a Surfing for God weekend intensive. And we started these Surfing for God weekends in, I think, 2013. And you came to the second one that we did uh, at a very rustic camp in Colorado. We've now upgraded to a different facility. But um, I met you there at that second weekend, and you've obviously agreed to to talk about your story on this program and podcast. So you were there as a participant. And can you share a little bit about what was happening in your life and what had happened to get you to that weekend? Wow, how much time do we have? We have seven hours. Um, this I'll is going to be a seven-hour podcast. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, where do I begin? I, I, I guess being in, in, you know, I've been in law enforcement for over 30 years. I was in the uh, military uh, prior to that, and I grew up about 40 miles west of Chicago, born in Chicago, grew up in Aurora, and uh, that was, we're in the midst of this integration, right? 
trying to get rid of segregation. So I could have walked two blocks to school with my friends in the neighborhood, which, by the way, was one of the only one of two neighborhoods that my dad was allowed to buy a house in when we moved to Aurora. And, uh, but I had to get on a bus and, and, and go a couple of miles to school and, and with, with kids that, that were different than me. And they, several of them made it known that I was different, that my the color of my skin was different, right? I, I had friends that I, I wasn't allowed to go to their house. If I was, if I was invited to a party, I couldn't stay. I couldn't spend the night. Um, I, as I was growing up, I had buddies who told me flat out, you know, I, I know my sister, she, she digs you, but that's not going to happen. You, you know, you're not going to date her. And I thought, wait a second, we're, I'm good enough to be your friend, but I can't date your sister. So I, I, I started, uh, I, I began putting on a mask, you know, I, I performed and, and I tried to be better than who I was to the point where as I got older and even, even through my marriage, I, I needed that affirmation and acknowledgement, the acceptance, the, the validation, uh, I began to get that from other women through through affairs and 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 pornography. Anybody that tells you that pornography is about sex, they, they need to dig a little di- bit deeper. <laughs> I mean, if you if you can look at a, porno- a pornographic image and not put yourself in that fantasy, then uh, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, something something's wrong. So I, I carried on these after multiple affairs, multiple affairs. Uh, I, I I end up crossing boundaries where I would find myself in a relationship with a single woman or she had a boyfriend or she was in a, you know, bad relationship or, uh, you know, getting ready to get divorced. Finally, to the point I crossed the line where, uh, I, I found myself involved in an affair with a friend of mine's wife and which we were in, in small group with in, at, at church of all things. Uh, our kids played together. We, we, we lived, you know, two, three blocks away from each other. We, we were, we were, we were close and, um, I crossed the line and it was found out and I knew that was it. I, I, I moved out of the house. There was no fixing this. Absolutely not fixing this. There was internal affairs investigation opened up at work against me. Um, my neighbors were interviewed. There was videotape taken from hotels. And I mean, this was, I, I thought this was, I, I had killed John mm. F. Kennedy. The investigation was far reaching. And to my wife's credit, she, she sought counsel at, at our church and uh, a pastor told her, you know, can you hold off getting a divorce for a year? And she said, yeah, I'm not in a hurry. She says, yeah, can you do this? You know, take care of yourself, take care of the kids. I have four kids, three girls and a boy and uh, take care of the kids. Make sure they're, 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 they're safe. They're, they're, they're good. And, uh, we'll work through this. And so, uh, I remember being in a hotel. I, I was living in a hotel for a few months and I had my gun bag next to me and I, I thought, man, that, seemed like a really good option at the time. I mean, no one would have to worry about Kevin betraying them or lying to them or, or, or screwing up their life. You know, they would be better off without me financially. Um, and all these lies started coming to me. Lies. And, um, they, they, the, they were lies that you much later identified as lies, but they, they felt like all that was true at the time, right? Oh, that was my truth at the time. Absolutely. That was my truth at the time. But, the, you know, I, I had enough presence of mind, or I, I would say the Holy Spirit, uh, 
told me to call Delena and I, I hadn't spoken to her in weeks, but I called her and I asked her, I said, I know you don't, you don't want to have anything to do with me. You may not even want to talk to me, but would you please come take my gun? She said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll meet you down in the parking lot. I met her down in the parking lot. I gave her my gun. We didn't say two words to each other. I went back up into the hotel room and I melted into the carpet. And, uh, you know, I've, I've never audibly heard God speak to me, but in that moment, if I could have opened my eyes, I could have touched Jesus. I, I, I know he was in the room and, uh, he told me everything's going to be okay. He didn't tell me that I was going to keep my marriage. I was going to keep my job, that my kids were going to like me again. He didn't, he didn't tell me any of that, but he just said, you're going to be okay regardless of what happens. And that's when I started to move forward. And, uh, I began, um, going to, uh, celebrate recovery called now Karen Knight at our church who, uh, and the, and the leader was Jay now friend, good friend of mine. Um, I, I owe a lot to, to that man, but he, uh, he encouraged me. He was involved with restoring the soul and, uh, the, the, um, the intensive weekends and he brought five of us out there that second time from our church. And the thing I remember about that weekend, and this is where my life turned is this is where I turned the corner. I remember it was after a dinner meal. Uh, I, I somehow ran into you and you looked at me and said, Kevin, you, you are suffering from ethnic shame. And in a moment, Everything made sense. Everything I'd done my whole life had made sense to overcome that ethnic shame. Me not accepting the person that God created me to be, uh, skin color and everything. And man, that that really that's really when my 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 journey began and things turned the corner. Uh, I'll never forget that moment. Um, and when you recently this past weekend when we were together, Monument, you reshared it with me. I. I heard different details on how I've told the story. And my wife always says I embellish stories, but I think I just mostly get the details wrong. But I, I like your version where it was in the dining hall. And you know, I remember a conversation after that, but if I can just summarize your story that you shared, you, you started out as a black man feeling this less than-ness, this you're not one of us, you're on the outside, you're you don't belong, you're different, all of those things, which layer by layer kind of covered you in shame. And then you you came up with this sense, this belief that I need to be something other than who I am. So your your imposter that you became was a, a strong, tough, powerful law enforcement and army guy, and you're a big man, and you've got a booming voice, and that's kind of your identity. But then finding validation from women. And I've so appreciated how you've talked about your skin color so vulnerably in conversations with me. But the universal issue, despite that difference, is that it's the shame on the inside. And the shame yes. was fueling you. And it's so powerful how, you know, here you are in a hotel room with your gun bag and you're so hopeless that you just want to end your life and can't find a reason, and then God, quote, shows up. And I always have ambivalence about that phrase, shows up, right? Because he's already there, right? But right. but but makes right. his yes. presence really real. And then you actually reach out to the person who you've hurt, which seems like the last person in the world that you want to reach out to. 
And what a picture of you handing over this this thing that you would use to hurt yourself, and she's taking that from you, you know, that long before forgiveness and long before being able to go to couples counseling, she carried and, and took uh, that thing which you would have caused great harm to yourself and therefore greater harm to the family. So I wish we did have seven hours to talk, but you came to that weekend and it really significantly touched you. As, as you said, things came together. But then it wasn't like, okay, one and done. I did this event. I went to porn camp, as we used to call it, and I'm good to go. But you went back home, and you really dug in with counseling and groups and continued celebrate recovery. Tell me about that and what your journey was like since then. Right. Uh, we, had, we had a good core group of guys that came back you know, that had learned the same principles and had began to understand that this wasn't about, you know, white knuckling it and, and just doing things better or trying to put a string of, of, uh, days of sobriety together. That that's, it was about a new way of living, a new way of looking at the father and, and, and believing, not just knowing what God says about us, but believing that, that we, our careers that nothing can separate us from his love. Right. I mean, I've always read that and I've always known that in my head, but it didn't get down into my heart until that weekend. It taught me to know that God's love for me wasn't based on my behavior. That's when, when grace really showed up and, and, you know, we had a good core group back here in, in, in Illinois, uh, with care night. And we, we, my church, Kieran and I began to branch out, and they needed other leaders. So I had decided that, that man, I'll, I'll try to lead another group at, at, at a satellite church. And, and, and that spawned an, an, another group and another satellite church, and, and, and it just continued to grow. And, and using, and using the, the, the material from Surfing for God, uh, it's guys will – and the thing about I love about that book – is I don't care how many times you read it, you 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 glean something different every time from it. I mean, I see things a little bit differently. I get a little more out of it, and I hear that over and over again as the guys go through it multiple times. That's so amazing to me as we've talked through the years that uh, uh, what you received in your healing, not just at the weekend, but with uh, you know your pastor and Jay and other people kind of being a, a support net for you. But the way that you went back and dug in and then to be leading and pouring into other men out of this brokenness and out of a place of, hey, what you know, what in the world would I have to offer? And coming to see that you have a, a lot to offer because uh, we really are powerful in our weakness. And in our weakness, we are strong. So you have led Surfing for God groups. And as I mentioned at the top of the uh, conversation, you have come and been a volunteer staff member four different times. And you've done everything from uh, been a part of the groups to, I think, part of the work crew or just kind of jumping in wherever. But your presence is that of coming alongside of men. And what is it like for you to go back to the weekend where you experience healing and then to get to be a part of that and see other men change? And I know this past time it was particularly powerful for you because for the first time we showed the Heart of Man movie there. Right. Uh I, I, this 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 came to me, you know, after the weekend, and I feel like it's a it's a beautiful heartbreak 
to be at that weekend and to, you know, I, you, I, I was given the, the task of being the sentry as men come, they come into the, 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 um, the, the camp or the, the retreat center and I greet them. And when they come around that corner with their bags, there's this look of despair and hopelessness and brokenness and geez, it's, it's like, it, it, it breaks my heart. But the, the beauty for me this past weekend was seeing them on Sunday at noon when they left. And they, they, they left different people, different men. Uh, I mean, the, the, almost glowing in, in some ways. And uh, it wasn't because of uh, this. there's this mountaintop experience, although we're, we're looking at Pikes Peak every day, right? I mean, we, we're there in the mountains. It's getting away from the noise. And allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to be seen, you're almost taking on this this new language of of looking at life, looking at yourself, and uh, and and the, the the character of of the father. This weekend was special, and like you said, watching the movie, um, it just kind of tied everything together. All these things that we've been talking about for the last two and a half days, it just tied everything together. You know. Um We've used this phrase around here for a long time, and I think it might be in Surfing for God, but when Tony Anderson and company did the movie, they had these cool posters for the movie, and and the phrase was on there, your brokenness is not a barrier, it's a bridge. And we talk a lot about at the weekend. And so when you talk about men coming and having this despair and hopelessness and brokenness and shame, at that moment they're thinking, you know, maybe this – Maybe this weekend is going to, you know, help, or maybe it'll give me some tools to be able to not sin. But it becomes something so much bigger than not sinning, and it becomes this new way of living, as we talk about, where the, right. the very brokenness that we have, it's not that we try to make the brokenness go away. It's not that we try to climb over it and get past it, but that it's that the brokenness, as we allow ourselves to be known in that brokenness like you did at that second weekend where there was so much clarity and healing that as we trust God with the brokenness, as we trust other people with the brokenness, and as we're in it, then it becomes the bridge to the life that we long for, the abundance, the freedom, the joy, the wholeness. And that's so different because you and I, in our journey, and certainly in, in my years of trying to get free from my sexual addiction, it was, I don't even know what freedom is. I just want to keep trying to get this out of my life because I hate it and I hate myself. So part of the, the secret sauce, if you will, and I have a question in here somewhere, is um, that as you stand there and you meet those men and then see them 66 hours later on Sunday, and they're really different. And I agree with you that it it's not just a camp high. You know, you can see something in them that's really different. No. And even a couple of weeks out now, as men are part of the 12-week aftercare, I'm able to touch base with some of them. And they're like, yeah, I mean, life has returned to being hard, but I'm a different person. What would you say to the man who comes to the weekend and says, okay, now the weekend's over. What do I do to live this out? How do I live differently how do i live this new way wow that's that's a, that's a great question because i have i've connected with a couple of guys since the weekend 
and uh, just trying to see how their reentry was was going into, into the into the real world. And uh, I was asked that question, and I said, "Man, one of the first things you got to do is is find a group of guys that that you trust that are willing to journey with you, right? Uh, that are safe, uh, and that that are that are more than." You know, having a beer and watching football, you know, checking out the newest, coolest bourbons. It's got to be more than that. Uh, you got to talk about real stuff. And when you start talking, you know, more than talking about how, you know, things that you don't like about your wife or girlfriend, it's got to be more to talk about the real stuff, just being real. It's infectious. If, if you go back into that group, into your circle of friends and you, you are able to, I, I guess what I'm saying is vulnerability breeds yeah. vulnerability if they see it in you uh they're going to come around wow man it's it's safe to talk about this stuff i'm not the only yeah, one have you, and there's there's so have much you noticed in that. uh like i have that once you start to share a story that men come out of the woodwork so to speak like whoa really you too but then there's more the sense of like how what do you have that i don't have that gives you the freedom to talk this way and that's where the Christianity, quote, religious part of it feels like, well, no matter what I believe to be true, what I experience is all of this shame and brokenness and doesn't feel like God could love me. But part of how this all happens is getting this new perspective that we are loved in our brokenness. And that's why you and I are able to be so bold about it. So, but have you experienced that, that as you share and as you invite other men that, that, as you said, that vulnerability breeds more? Oh, absolutely. I remember the weekend after the, the movie premiered here, uh, I walk into church, the guy greeting me at the door that I, I've seen literally hundreds of times, he, he shakes my hand, he pulls me in, man, I'm, I'm dealing with the same stuff. It's like, okay, <laughs> let's talk about this, man. You know? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been amazing, um, to see that we're, we are, we are not alone. And it's, it's not some odd thing. And I think part of the thing that allows me and, and, and I'm sure yourself to be vulnerable is getting a, a grasp of what your true identity is. Your identity isn't dependent upon where you live, what kind of car you drive, you, the, the title at work, uh, how much money you have in the bank, who's sitting next to you, uh, what kind of clothes you wear, how smart you are, what, how many letters you have, have after your name. That's not your identity. If you get a hold of, of who Christ says you are, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And that's where I got to be. It's like, it doesn't matter what you think about me. Do I care sometimes? Yes. Does it hurt my feelings sometimes? Maybe. But at the end of the day, the thing that I have to be concerned about is what Christ thinks of me. It makes it a lot easier to be vulnerable and to be open when we get a hold yeah, of that. Yeah, when you get a hold of that, uh, and when I get a hold of that, as we often say, there's there's nothing to hide and nothing to prove, right? So you can actually we can actually dare to be right. the real you. You can dare to be yes. Kevin with black skin, and I can dare to be Michael with all of my neurosis and idiosyncrasies and and things like that. And that's what freedom is, right? Like freedom to be me. Freedom, freedom. There, there, there's no better freedom than, than being you, being the person that God created you to be. That person is waiting to be, waiting to live. 
he, he's already inside men waiting to live. And, uh, you know, it's funny this weekend, one of the, one of the things I got on this past weekend, my leader of our group, Ben Wilson, he, uh, in, in our small group, he said one of his prayer requests is that, that God would give him a dream, uh, that he would give him dreams. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's at an age where, you know, he's had a career, he's married, his kids are grown. It's like, what next God, give me a dream. And I thought, man, Ben, that's it. God, give me, you know, we're the same age. We're kind of in the same place. Say, God, give me a dream. And through this weekend, God just kind of said, Kevin, this is what, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you were made to do is to bring along other men, bring along as many as you can. I that a thousand percent because men look at you and on the outside, you were this military law enforcement, strong, you know, muscle guy that I would, I'd never want to cross you if you weren't my friend. And yet you're, you're one of the most tender, humble, vulnerable guys that I think what disarms people is not your strength or your physical uh, presence, but your, your ability to be so open and like, Hey, this is what God thinks about me. And here's my story. And it was pretty messed up and there's hope. And that is disarming. And I especially appreciated uh, just how vulnerable you were as we uh, showed the film. And then as you talked afterwards about what that was like, and some of that will just have to remain uh, between you and me and the people that attended, you know, the, the weekend uh, intensive through restoring the soul used to be called surfing for God weekend intensive because when the book first came out, it was almost exclusively men that had a sexual addiction, porn addiction, they had had affairs, etc. And over the years, uh, we don't screen people and say, you can't come unless you have a porn addiction. But more men have come because they found the book helpful in other ways or because they've worked with one of our counselors and maybe they have, you know, trauma in their history, whether sexual trauma or other trauma. Maybe they grew up in an alcoholic home uh, there, there are men who have struggled with depression. There are men who, and this has become actually more common, guys who say, you know, I don't have an active addiction and, and porn has never been an issue, but somewhere along the way, I lost my heart and I lost, uh, my joy. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I ever had an ability to intimately connect with my wife and others. And I just kind of hide in my job and stuff. So I'm excited that the folks that attend are uh, coming with a broader set of issues because that just allows more people to get help and healing. But as you've been a group leader, what do you find is the sweet spot uh, for the kind of man that you like to see coming to the weekend uh, looking for a certain kind of change or impact? You know, I I would say the man that is – He's just done. He's fed up with living life the way he's been living and that he's, he's, he's ready to do some work, do some hard work. It's not, it's not easy. It's not easy stuff, but he's ready to do some work and ready to allow his heart to be examined, ready to take off the mask, uh, and, and, and allow guys to see them, see them for who they are. One of the first things I said when, when we sat in our small group of, uh, five guys, two leaders, seven of us, I said, uh, you know, we're only here a couple of days, but by the time you leave here, we will have created a brotherhood. And man, I mean, I'm, I'm no prophet, <laughs> trust me, but man, did that, that, that happened in the, in the truest sense. 
you you gain this this brotherhood. And there are guys that uh, I, I did a group with two years ago. They still meet every Tuesday wow. night on a Zoom meeting. Wow. There's guys. There is a guy from a group from my group that came to my. He came from Kansas City to my wow. 50th birthday. You know. So it's stuff like that happening. You know, I've gone down to St. Louis to visit guys from, you know, a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Aaron, from uh, from the group. He's come up and visit, stayed weekends with me. I mean, that's the type of those are the type of relationships that are that are made on this weekend. And, and that's uh, what's life changing, right? It's man, it's like it's one it's one thing to go to yes, a counselor, and I obviously believe in that because that that uh, leads to healing. And it's one thing to go to a weekend. But there is this brotherhood there, and men are starving for that, especially during uh, the pandemic and quarantine and people pulling back from churches, because most of the time it's, and I don't mean to be cute here, but like show up for pancake breakfast, hear a devotion from a pro athlete or some big name speaker, and then hopefully that will fire you up enough to go home and, you know, get your crap together to be a good Christian guy. And that what that leads to is what I call in surfing for God, the lather, rinse, repeat cycle. So I, I love how you said that the kind of guy you like to see is somebody who's done. They're just like, hey, what I've been doing isn't working. I want to do life differently. So I always pray, Kevin, that, you know, we can fill 30 spots, right? We can do social media and marketing, all that. But it's always cool to see how it's like these are 30 men that are handpicked by God that they're they're providentially there like you were that. and like when my life fell apart in 94 how it was providential how the people that needed to be in my life were there so i appreciate you taking the time uh to talk about your story i'm excited to be on this journey with you and i'm grateful for what god's done in your life with you and delena and your marriage and your family um when there was such despair and hopelessness and you know, you've got a big old smile on your face, and when every time I see you and give you a hug, you you squeeze the stuffing out of me, as my kids would say, and and that's that just that's just the passion and and joy that you have of of being alive and and uh, being forgiven and having a, a redemption story. So thank you. No, thanks for having me. Um, can I? Yeah. Can I have oh, one please. minute? Yeah. You know, you talk about going through all of this, and a, a good friend of mine, he was a worship pastor at my church, he, he saw my daughter back up. My oldest daughter, this, all, my life imploded a week before my oldest daughter was to get married, and I was uninvited to uh, the wedding, but I ended up going, I got invited, and everything worked out fine. But I just about ruined her wedding, right? Because um, half the people that, that were supposed to come to the wedding knew the, the other mm. couple and knew us and... So just a couple of years back, um, my buddy sees my daughter at a Starbucks and I hadn't seen him in a while. And she asked, he asked her, how, how's your dad doing? He said, he's doing good. And, uh, yeah, he says, how's, how's everything working out for him? She says, you know, I would go through all of that again for my mm. dad to be who he is today. And I thought, man, I, I, I can barely say it without, uh, man, getting emotional, but that, that was a powerful testament to, to what God can do if someone allows him to, you know, someone that opens up their heart, does the work, and allows God to, to, wow. to do his thing. I've heard wives say something like that. Uh, Juliana said things like, you know, we, we discovered something in our story of brokenness to redemption 
that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten. But I've never heard that from a daughter too, or about a dad. That's powerful. I would go through it all again just for my dad to become who he is now. That's that's amazing. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Thank you.